Now is the time for your legal questions. If you have comments about anything we've talked about on the show so far, Mariah Carey, uh, or any anything that you have seen in the news and maybe you want to discuss it or ask me a question, or if you have your own personal legal issue, I can try to weigh in on it. I don't always answer it because I don't know everything, but I can usually talk around it and maybe steer you in the right direction. Give us a call, 312-981-7200. See if you can give my producer, Andrew, who's birthday it was this week happy birthday andrew a um uh, you know kind of a concise little summary of what your problem is and uh, we'll get you on the air and talk to you about it 312-981-7200 i had uh, a text earlier that asked the question about the red flag laws and we've been talking quite a bit about those laws in fact the house passed a version of a red flag law uh, and it's going to go to the Senate, probably will not be uh, passed, I, I, is, is what I'm hearing. But red flag laws, there are pro- approximately 19 states in Washington, D.C., has passed red flag laws. And basically what it does is allows law enforcement to take away guns temporarily from people who show that they may harm themselves or others. It's sort of like an order of protection that is temporary in nature, uh, and it's they vary between and among the states. There's different burdens of proof. Sometimes there's probable cause. Sometimes it's clear and convincing evidence. But in almost all the cases, the person who is targeted, uh, pardon, pardon the pun, will get a chance to come back into court and show that he or she is not uh, a danger to herself or others. So uh, there, there are ways of getting guns out of people's hands who might be dangerous. And uh, these gun laws, I mean, it's kind of the jury's out as far as how effective they are. The one study that did show some results showed that it did prevent people from committing suicide. And interestingly, you know, suicide is done largely uh, at the spur of the moment. Some people do plan it out. But if you have a gun, it's a lot easier to kill yourself. And so uh, the, the studies do show that it does decrease the number of suicides. As to mass shootings, uh, I don't know that there's been any sh- proof that that these gun laws are going to change things. Again, I'm not saying I'm against them. I'm just saying the, the studies don't bear that out. I, be, I get asked all the time, though, the question is, isn't this against some constitutional rights that people have? Of course, the Second Amendment, uh, the, the advocate, gun advocates will say, this is against your Second Amendment. You have a right to have a gun. But Frankly, these statutes have been upheld in the states. It has not gone; they've not gone to the U.S. Supreme Court quite yet. Um, but the Supreme Court has ruled that not everybody gets a gun. Not everybody has a right to a gun if that person is shown to be dangerous. And so, those kinds of restrictions will generally be upheld. Uh, again, I don't know what's going to happen when it goes to the Supreme Court. I've also heard people argue that it's a First Amendment violation in that. When people start saying things like, I'm going to harm myself or others, you have a right to say that. Um, and certainly you do. But if that type of thing is going to cause harm to yourself or others, again, the, the First Amendment doesn't cover and doesn't protect all speech in this world. The Fourth Amendment um, is a search and seizure amendment that I see gets cited in against these kinds of uh, these kinds of laws. I, I don't know that that is a violation. And also the Fifth Amendment. Uh, which is the idea that what you say can be held against you, I still don't think that those those laws would go astray of the constitutional uh, amendments. But again, we have uh, nine really smart people in Washington who are going to weigh in on that at some point uh, very soon, I would imagine. So interesting. Uh, let's go to the phone lines, 312-981-7200. 
Hi, Rick. Welcome to WGN. How are you today? I'm doing fine. I'm just astounded by a, a headline I saw, and I just wondered uh, what you would say about it. Um, I'll, I'll just say insurance company. Insurance company ordered to pay Missouri woman $5.2 million after she contracted a sexually transmitted disease in a car. A woman who said she contracted an STD from her partner in a in an insurance uh, insured car argued the insurance policy provided coverage for her injuries and losses, according to court documents. I just it sounded so unbelievable to me that. Okay. I mean, what if somebody got shot in a car? Then? You, you, and like everybody else. Okay. So I actually talked about this on Lisa Dent's show. Uh, I think oh. it was Friday because she. I didn't even see it. She told me about it. And so again, this is fascinating. So they basically said that the insurance, the auto insurance, covered the the transmission of the disease because it happened in the car. Well. I have to tell you, I think that is an incorrect decision because obviously when you buy auto insurance, it insures you for, insures you if others get injured as a result of the operation, the maintenance, the driving of the car, not as a bed to, to <laughs> you know, for, for sexual activity. And uh, this is, this is the lawyer in me talking that there's an intervening cause of this STD. And that is the guy didn't tell her about the fact that he had this problem and they had unprotected sex. So those to me are the causes, not the operation and maintenance of the car. So I'm with you, buddy. I think that is just like, I, I put that in the, how could that have happened in a court of law uh, category? Yeah, it's very strange. Oh. Well, thank you. I think it just made my jaw drop, so it made yours, too. <laughs> it did, absolutely. <laughs> Let's see how, what happens uh, when it gets appealed, because I, I, I'm sure that uh, the ins- car insurance companies are scrambling now, right? Because you said you're right. If you get shot in a car by a drive-by, is that insurance-related policy? I, I don't know. I don't know where, where that's going. Oh, I do want to say, though, Rick your homeowner's insurance might cover that. So let's just say that someone gives someone an STD, uh, the the avenue might be homeowners because that would be a negligent act that could arguably be covered under homeowners, not necessarily. So, in a, if, so if it happens in a house, it could, you could, homeowner's insurance might cover that. Huh? Well, homeowner's insurance covers things that are more than in your house. Some homeowner's policies will cover defamation and cover things that happen outside, like if you're riding your bicycle, you know, and, and you uh, hurt somebody. Uh, so so the homeowner's insurance should always be contacted. If you ever get sued or someone threatens you, always give it to your insurance agent just with the outside chance that it might be covered. It's amazing what some things um, are covered by, you know, if, when it comes to homeowners. Anyway, thank you for oh. the call. That was. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I think I was I was heading in that direction myself. <laughs> All right, thank you. welcome back. I'm taking your legal questions here. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Uh, this is WGN, and I, for the next hour, or eh, 40 minutes, I'm going to be taking your calls. You can call me here or text me at 312-981-7200. If, for some reason, you would rather speak privately, I'm always happy to get back to you. The best way is email, WGN at AskKarenConti.com, K-A-R-E-N-C-O-N-T-I, uh, or call me at the office, 312-332-7800. Let's go to the phone lines. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. What's your legal question? 
Well, it's certainly, um, I just wanted to know what is like a legal recourse when you get a voice message saying that you owe money and if you don't hurry up and call them that they're saying they can take legal action. And I don't know how legitimate these calls are when you ask for information. They don't want to send you anything. So I'm not really sure, you know, like if they're just looking at like your past history, if you owed for something and they're just trying to milk you or what, you know, like what are you allowed to ask? to make sure it's legitimate. You know, Amber, I think a lot of these are scams um, because when you owe money, it normally comes in some form like that's legitimate, like a letter. Uh, You owe, you're you're late on this, you're late on that, and there's specifics on it. And they want you to call because they want you to identify yourself and give them your social security number and your credit card number. And I would just ignore those. I mean, again, I, I can't say about every one of them, I can't tell you how many of those I get. I don't owe any money. I that and, you know, except gotcha. maybe, except maybe to my friend in third grade, I borrowed lunch money or something. <laughs> you know, so so when I see these, I go, oh my gosh, people must really think they owe money because some of them do sound legitimate. But I would be very careful. I wouldn't call people back. I wouldn't deal with it. And if you know you owe money to a credit card company and they're contacting you, um, you should call. You know, find the number yourself. Find the address yourself and call them and contact them in a way that you know is, is legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Good luck to you. I appreciate your help. Okay. Take care. All right. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. 312-981-7200. Uh, Karen, uh, I heard you talk about the red flag laws. Don't they target people with depression and mental illness? And isn't that wrong? You know, that's a legitimate question. And I don't have the answer for, for, you know, laws, you know, people say, well, can't this law be abused? Couldn't a neighbor who has a grudge against you call in and get your guns taken away because he's just a jerk or an old boyfriend or something like that? Well, certainly laws can be misused. And I am a big supporter of orders of protection, and I know there's a lot of domestic violence in this world. And if you don't think there is, you look at the statistics. I'm a lawyer that practices in that area, and I think orders of protection, they don't always work, but they really do help a lot of victims. So, and and are they misused? Do people file them to gain an advantage in a divorce or to get custody of a child? Yes, that does happen. But largely, orders of protection are very important to not only protect people, but to save them. Um, so I think that these red flag laws can be misused. And the question is, if someone is reaching out for help and posting on social media that they're threatening to harm themselves or others, uh, will they stop doing that if they know that someone could bring a red flag law against them and take away their guns. You know, yes, that could happen. And interestingly, um, the other thing I want to say is that the statistics are overwhelming that only 4% of all violent acts in this country are committed by people who have certified mental illness. 4%. However, when it comes to mass shootings, the statistics show that over one-third of all the people who commit mass shootings do have a certified mental illness. So mass shootings are very different than acts, random acts of violence, if you, you want to call them that. Um, so the, the red flag laws clearly are geared toward that mass shootings that we're seeing. And so hopefully it would help uh, that situation. Again, as I said before, uh, what it really does in a way that the studies do bear out, uh, it does help prevent suicides. Um, and, and the rest of the stuff, I think we're going to have to just wait and see 
very hard to gauge why someone did or didn't uh, can, you know, do a mass shooting. Is it because there were no red flag laws in their state? It, it's just very hard to, to gauge what they're actually doing and how the flat red flags are actually working. Um, let's go to Susie. Hi, Susie. Welcome to WGN. Hi, oh. thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, the reason I, I was trying to, we have a will and we have a trust that needs to be updated because we have adult children now. But is the cost of a trust necessary or needed beyond a will? So I can't answer that question because I don't know your situation. Uh, I also don't practice in this area, so those are my qualifications. Lawyers always have to give give those waivers, uh, the, you know, the, the the warnings there. But generally speaking, a trust is good because a trust doesn't have to go through probate. And a trust, when you pass, the trust automatically disperses the money through the trustee to the beneficiary. So you don't have to go to court. There doesn't have to be an executor. The trustee is named as the person who gathers up all the assets, pays off the debts, and then disseminates the um, you know, distributes the money. So a trust is always really good. But I can't tell you the answer, Susie, because I don't know how much your estate is worth. I don't know how complicated it is. I don't know the answers to those questions. So that's a that's something that you should definitely consult with a lawyer. And hopefully you can call the lawyer who did your, your estate plan in the first place. Are you comfortable doing that? Or do you want to get somebody else? Well, I did call and they couldn't meet until like September and the cost was going to be like $3,500. And that's really just to change the executor and we did move to another state. Um, okay. But that's not like from square one, you know. It, yeah. You know, uh, is. Yeah, a lot of lawyers will redo the whole thing just because it's, sometimes it's hard to redo just one aspect of something. You're going to have to draft a whole new document anyway, so sometimes there's changes in the law too. And if you move to another state, you might want a trustee or an executor in that state, which would make it easier to, 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 to uh, disperse the money. That doesn't sound unreasonable to me, the $3,500. Um, but why don't you, if you want to email me and let me know a little bit more about your state, I'd be happy to uh, send you what I think the answer might be. Uh, I have a state planning lawyer who works kind of out of counsel with me, so I can maybe run it past him and see what he has to say. And then, of course, if it's another state, um, you have to definitely get a lawyer in that state because, again, state to state, the law is different. Thank you for answering, but I do have one question. You mentioned that, you know, that when you go through the the trust that you don't have to go through probate. But if you have a will, you don't have to go through probate then, do you? Uh, You do if your estate is worth a certain amount. Yes. that A lot of people think that just having a will uh, gets around probate, and it doesn't always. Now, if your estate is worth under a certain dollar amount, it might be able to go outside of probate, but that's the beauty of the trust. The trust... And it's just, if you think about it this way, a trust is like an imaginary box, and you put all of your stuff in it, all of your accounts, all of your assets, your house, everything like that goes into that box. And when you die, the trustee takes that box and gives it to the people who you say and you specify are to get them. The will directs an executor to do that, but the, the, the generally... Uh, you have to go through court to get everything approved, and that adds a layer of expense. It is also time-consuming. You hear about these cases where five years later, the, the money still hasn't been dispersed, um, and a trust is always a better way to do it, okay, just generally. 
All right. So I I would say, yeah, I would say look into it. Make sure that you, you know, that 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 make sure that the trust is something that, you know, you don't need if you're going to opt not to do it. Okay, great. All right. Thank you for your help. All right, Susie, take care. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, oh, I got a text that said, I'm getting divorced. We have a lot of stuff, Karen. Two houses of furniture, collectibles, um, furniture collectibles, antiques, etc. How are those items uh, dispersed and how who gets to decide who gets what? And uh, that's a good question. And I think that um, what you're going to see in a divorce is that if it comes to you through um, inheritance or if it was a gift like jewelry or golf clubs uh, for your birthday um, or if you had it before the marriage, that is going to go to um, that's going to go to the party who received it. Okay, but if it was acquired during the marriage, then both parties are entitled to, let's say, 50% each, which is generally what happens. And if you can't decide with your spouse who gets the Tupperware or who gets the rugs, then the court will order a sale of the property and then you will divide the money. Generally speaking, lawyers don't like to get involved in these fights. Why? Nothing is really worth that much unless it's a valuable. So if it is an antique or a piece of art or silver or something that has some intrinsic value, uh, it's not worth arguing about it because lawyers are very expensive. And if you're fighting over Tupperware, you might as well just go buy your own Tupperware. Uh, And it's also the value of the property is not what you paid for it. The value of the property is what you would get at a sale, which is like a Craigslist sale. So that $5,000 couch that you bought at a nice store now is a used couch that probably could get you $300 at on Craigslist, and therefore it's not really worth fighting over. So again, you try to resolve those things. You try to mediate them. Your lawyers maybe want to pitch in and try to help, but the bottom line is that uh, the judge could just order a sale, and then you have one big garage sale and watch your stuff uh, uh, go away. Give us a call here. Uh, we've got lots of time left, 30 minutes for legal questions. 312-981-7200-312-981-7200. This is WGN. Happy Loving Day. Did you know that June 12th is Loving Day? And I will tell you why. In 1958, a couple named Loving, the last name Loving, were married. And the woman was uh, black and American Indian, Native American, and her husband was white. They were married in Virginia. And in the middle of the night, the police came and arrested them because their marriage violated the interracial marriage ban in Virginia. And the case uh, ended up going all the way up to the Supreme Court. The ACLU took it and the U.S. Supreme Court reversed it and said there is a constitutional right for people to be married regardless of their race, and it was against the 14th Amendment that provides equal protection to all people, and it was discriminatory not to allow interracial marriage. So that's why it's called Loving Day, which is an interesting um, name to call it. So anyway, uh, that's a little bit of uh, history for you. That was back in the 1950s. Uh, I also wanted to tell you about a funny lawsuit. It's not funny to the guy this happened to, but this is funny, funny, like as in, I can't believe this happened. In Detroit, a man was... Uh, is recovering after the woman he kissed bit his tongue off. Yes, 
he she told him i don't want you to use your tongue when you're kissing me and he did and she bit his tongue off and she is now being charged with aggravated battery that is just a terrifying story and it's just it's just an odd situation to happen uh she could uh do a lot of years in jail up to a year in jail and a thousand dollar fine and she probably will get more anyway i just thought i'd lighten your day there um Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, we have some calls and we have some estate planning questions. Again, some of these estate planning questions are very specific to uh, the, the situation. What your assets look like, what your debts look like, uh, what you are planning on doing with them. And it's so, so I can't really usually answer very specific questions, but I can maybe give you some guidance in the right direction. Certainly, if you uh, call my office or you email me, I can refer you to somebody, hopefully in your area, in the suburbs or in the city, who might be a good choice for an estate planning lawyer, because it's hard to pick one, not knowing exactly uh, who the lawyers are and what, what they really concentrate their practices in. Jack, welcome to the show. What You have a question about a trust. I do, and thank you for taking the call. Sure. I, I do have a trust. And uh, I'm in between homes right now. I'm renting. And if I buy a home in central Illinois, do I have to go through an attorney to have the title of that home put into my trust? My understanding, and this is the last time I looked at the law, is that you can actually buy the home in the name of your trust. So you oh. so you wouldn't even have to do that extra step. So when you buy it, you can buy it uh, in the name of the, the you know, the uh, trust for Frank Jones, uh, established in 1942, whatever, and you buy it in that name and it stays in that name. Okay, so that's oh, probably excellent. the easiest way to do it without the cost. Okay, very good. And I would assume that would be the name on the. Uh, I'll be I'll be buying with cash, so um, that would be the name on the title. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Yep. Well, thank you so much. All right, Jack. Where, where, are you, where are you buying a house? May I ask what what area in Central Illinois? Uh, in the Decatur Springfield area. Oh, I used to have a house in Petersburg, Illinois. Oh, my gosh, beautiful little town. It is a beautiful little town. It's where Abraham Lincoln came to study law. I was, I was drawn there to, the, uh, to yes. the whole Lincoln thing. Excellent. Did you ever go to New Salem? All the time. I would actually, I could jog there from my from my house. And oh. and for my listeners out there, if you've never been to New Salem, it's a sort of a recreated little town uh, back in the days of, of Lincoln and little log cabins. And, and you can learn a lot. And they have some dress up people that walk around and tell you what it was like at that time. It's, it's really charming. And I would also recommend to go to Springfield and go to the Lincoln Library and Museum, which is a fabulous museum museum. Absolutely. New Salem is a great place for a, a first date. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah, guess so. You can walk and talk and it's, you know, it's not, uh, uh, you know, not uncomfortable. It's so. wholesome. It's a wholesome day out, yeah. out, out and about with some history thrown in. Very good. Right. Well, we, we oh, gave well, Thank people. you, ma'am. Okay, Jack, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Um, give us a call here, 312-981-7200. I had uh, an email this week. Last month, I rear-ended the car in front of me. We were at a stoplight. <clears throat> the light turned green, and he started to go, and then he slammed on the brakes. I was told I'm at automatically at fault. Is this true? 
It pretty much is. When you rear-end somebody, it is almost always your fault because you always were either going too fast, you weren't looking, you weren't uh, spaced uh, appropriately behind the car, um, and so therefore you're going to be at fault. And, And I have never seen a case where a person wasn't at fault for rear-ending uh, a car. And if, if there's lawyers out there who know there, w- there are ways to get around it, give me a call here. It's, I'm not a personal injury lawyer, but um, but it's, it's, it's almost a done deal. Give us a call, 312-981-7200. We'll be back in a minute. I've got 15 minutes to take your legal questions here on WGN. Welcome back, 312-981-7200. Phone lines are wide open. Give my producer something to do. He's just sitting there. He's not doing anything at all. He's just looking at me. So give him something to do, please. Idle hands. You know what they say about that. Uh, you know, I get a lot of questions where people say, you know, I'm going to file a small claim and it's going to be simple and I'll just get a judgment and I'll collect it. And, you know, I, I want to tell you this and I'm not discouraging people from from filing small claims because they are supposed to be user friendly, but they really are very difficult. And if you talk to somebody who has gone through through the entire process, I think they will tell you that the process is is a little bit stressful in that you really don't know what you're doing. The clerks can help be helpful a little bit when it comes to what documents you need to file, but they can't really give you legal advice. So you're basically drafting things and you're doing things that you really don't understand. And now with Google, of course, it's a little bit easier. You can get samples and different forms and you can get some help uh, uh, with, with what you're trying to do. But remember, if you're suing somebody, say it's a contractor who maybe didn't do a good job and, and you're out you know, $100 or $800 or $2,000, you are going to go through a lot of work for that money because not only are you going to have to draft the lawsuit, you're going to have to file it, you're going to have to serve the person via the sheriff, you are going to have to go to court. Sometimes it's in Zoom now, sometimes it's going to be in person, depending on what court and what county you're in. And you're going to have to put on evidence and prove that you are, have this loss and that the other party was at fault. And you don't know the court rules. You may not know how to question parties. And the judge isn't supposed to really help you because the judge is supposed to treat all litigants equally, even ones that are represented by counsel. And then once you get a judgment, let's say you are a uh, some sort of uh, amateur Mary Perry Mason, and you get a judgment against the company, you then have to collect it. And collecting a judgment, as I've said on this show many times, is very difficult. It's something that even a seasoned lawyer like uh, like myself, 35 years in practice, I have a hard time doing that if I want to collect a judgment. I generally will give it to a lawyer who does this kind of work, the collection work, because you have to put liens on property, you have to garnish wages, you can do all kinds of things, but it's not it's not an easy thing. And again, you have to do it the right way. Otherwise, the judges will not cooperate, and, and rightly so. Everything has to be done pursuant to the law. So um, again, you know, if it's $800, I'm thinking it may not be worth your time to do that. Um, and again, some people enjoy the process and good luck with that. Tom, welcome to WGN. You have a question about child support. Yes, Karen, it's an honor to speak with you. My question is any types of court, hearing, court hearings with child support or anything, there's no due process. And those judges, you know, they're judge magistrates. They're not judges. They're elected by current attorneys around like divorce judges so why and then the supreme court in minnesota ruled that 
basically uh, child support is basically unconstitutional. Is it by jurisdiction where they get you, or if you could explain that, please? Well, I that's news to me that the Minnesota court said that child support... Yeah, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court in Minnesota ruled it unconstitutional because there's no due process, and those are judge magistrates. Okay, not judges. I have to look. I have to look that one up. So I'm going to. Please do. Okay, yeah, because that doesn't. That sounds very. uh, That's surprising. And maybe, maybe Tom, could it be that it's the way it's it's administered in Minnesota that that doesn't have the due process, not child support, all in all, just the way that the the process was delegated to people who were not elected or not official judges. Is that what you think it is? Well, yeah, because it's a judge magistrate. I mean, it's. Basically, it's unconstitutional. If you really think about it, everybody should have due process. And they keep saying that in the Bill of Rights and, you know, certain statutes. You have to, you know, basically consent to that judge magistrate. They act like a judge. They talk like a judge. They go by statutes. And some of those statutes, you know, I think the federal Supreme Court rules are stronger than state rules. I'm sure you would agree with that. Okay, so let me just tell you, first of all, that child support, the way it's calculated, the way it's administered is different in every single state. And I'm not going to tell you that I know the law of any state except Illinois. And Illinois has a law that says that both parents' income is to be considered in determining child support. And there is a statutory grid that you look at, and if you have two children, this is how much the court and the law, the legislature has deemed two children to cost. And we look at what percentage dad makes, what percentage mom makes, and then the calculation is done that way. It's a little complicated. It factors in a lot of different things, including how many overnight stays uh, one parent has over the other parent. Uh, and then it also factors in health insurance and some other issues and whether the uh, either of the parties has obligations to other children. So all those things get factored in. In Illinois, we use judges. I mean, judges make those determinations. Um, Judge and, magistrate, Karen. Let's be no, specific. No, no, uh, no. Depending no. on the county. Uh, not not where I practice, but you know, if you're telling me down in uh, Carbondale they use magistrate judges, maybe they do. I don't know because I don't practice there. But in all of the counties that I know, they they are they're judges who are making those determinations. Uh, and they're elected by the people when they vote a judge in, not a judge magistrate. They're not elected correct. by other trial lawyers. That's no. correct. That's correct. Yeah, our judges okay. are all elected. In fact, I was going to remind everybody on June 28th to go out and vote and get the uh, the lawyers who have been uh, deemed qualified. If you go to the Tribune or go to the Illinois Bar Association website, look at who's the who are the good ones. Take that that list in and vote for your judges. Yes, our judges are are voted in. Our federal judges are appointed, but our uh, state judges are elected. So, Tom, I'm going to take a look at that, and if you want to send me something so I can look at it, I would like to know. But I'm sure I can Google Please. it and get the answer to that. Because it's kind of against your civil rights if USC, what is that, 19, or 42 USC 1983 about, you know, that civil rights and your, you know, and child support, remember, that's an agency. So when you say it's the state, it's an agency. So it's basically a debt collector. If we want to be specific, that's an agency of the government. It's not the government. It's an agency. Okay, Tom. That, thank you. Thank yeah. you for your comments. I appreciate, I appreciate it very it. much. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and, and 
a lot of people, you know, they bristle about child support, and it's it, it's it. Uh, the people who receive it never think it's enough, and the people who pay it uh, think it's way too much, and it's it's a very difficult thing. But you know, these things are calculated, and they try to be fair, but they generally aren't. You know, I, I would be the first person to agree that it's very difficult to to do the right thing when it comes to uh, taking care of children and even making decisions about where they live and where they spend holiday times. Those are just painful, awful decisions when people split up. And uh, and there's a lot of dissatisfied people, and I completely understand why. Thank you so much for listening. I want to say happy birthday to Steve Dale. He's celebrating on Wednesday. Please stay tuned for the fabulous, great Rick Hogan show coming up next here on WGN. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Sunday.